Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut, but if you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I talk to former WWE champion Drew McIntyre and his new book, a Chosen Destiny, Drew McIntyre, my story. He gets into his career before his career, and of course that surreal moment of winning that WWE Championship against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania 36. Speaking of surreal, Bully and I go in deep when it comes to A&E's biography on Randy Macho Man Savage from this past Sunday, and was it a bit on the tabloid side? We'll talk about that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. What's happening, lads? Thank you for having me back on. And yeah, apparently I have a book, which is insane. <laughs> An insane sentence to say. Apparently I have a book. <laughs> you, never, you never know in the WWE what they're going to put out, put out on you next. And now you got a book. Mental. Mental. The first <laughs> book I ever read cover to cover was Mick Foley's Have a Nice Day. I mean, it wasn't like I was young at the time. I was like 13. I probably should have read a few of my English books that I wrote essays on. But, you know, you can skim those things, write essays, and it's wild. All these years later, I actually have one of my own. Well, Drew, and, and you just said about having a book. Well, you've had a life and a career is the reason why you have this book, because it's so interesting, you know, your journey to becoming, you know, WWE champion and where you are right now. So it's kind of amazing when you look at it, but – Drew, you've had that kind of career in life where you need to have a book. And the fact that you have one has got to be surreal into itself. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, it's not like I was cocky enough to say, you know what the world needs right now is Drew McIntyre's book. But like the WWE came to me and a third party to approach them about putting my story down on paper. And my immediate reaction was, come on, who wants to hear about some Scottish kid that wrestles for WWE and once they explained to me, it's not just your wrestling story, Drew, it's your life story and the amount of times you've been knocked down after achieving your dream, which seemingly was impossible. I mean, the first Scotsman signed to WWE, but then you get knocked down so many times and so many personal things going on in your life that you had to overcome. You know, we want to put that story out there. We want to help people. If you're cool telling it through your story, you do it in interviews like this all the time. You're telling it on television, so why not put it in a book? And it was put to me that way. I thought, okay, if I can help people, that's what it's all about. And it's about wrestling, it's foundation. But really, I, I'm just trying to 
put that message out there that I know times are tough, especially these past year, and you're going to get knocked down a lot of times in life, but there's always light at the end of the tunnel. If you keep believing, you surround yourself with positive people, you're accountable to the person in the mirror, you're going to succeed, whatever your goal may be, and I'm living proof. Drew, when they handed you the finished product, were you able to sit down? I mean, you're busy as all hell, but were you able to sit down and read it front to back? Yeah, I did. And I struggled to watch my own stuff, even my matches back. I forced myself to watch my matches back, my promos back. I don't like stuff relating to myself. It is difficult and it's very weird to read about my whole life story. But once we finished it, I sat down, I read it. We actually have an audio book that's also released today. I got to, you know, go through it and talk about it and say it out loud. And I was surprised when I was doing the audio book, like the emotions at the time came back to me, you know, be it positive or negative or sad, whatever it was. It was, you know, a weird experience going through it, going through it all again. I had to keep reminding myself, right, Drew, you're still 35. There's a few years left here. This isn't like the end of the career book, but it's been a wild ride thus far. When you were reading it back and you talk about the emotions that came rushing back to you, was there a moment in time where you said to yourself, how the hell did I make it through this? Or, wow, this was a lot more emotional than I realized it was at the time. Like, was there one particular point in the book that really hit you hard as if you were reliving it all over again? Um, I mean, more personal stuff, like the the wrestling stuff, the career stuff is, you know, I went through a lot, um, overcame a lot and was able to achieve a lot of my dreams. But I realized just how lucky I've been um, just with my family that I grew up with. Uh, my mother, who I talk about a lot in there and how much she inspired me to be the person I am today and to never give up. So she went through so much in her life uh, before she eventually passed and my friends always been such a great support system and my wife, just how much she is meant to me, not just becoming the performer I am today, but becoming the man I am today and finally helping this dumb kid that got fired from WWE to finally grow up and be a grown ass man, as Mark Henry likes to say. And to go through all that again, go through that personal journey to get me to where I am today as a man. You know, it was, it was something else made me grateful for the people around me. You know, Drew, uh, the first part of the book, how the book starts, I thought was so interesting. And that's going back to WrestleMania 36. We spoke to you just before WrestleMania 36 when you became WWE champion. And you being a fan since you were five years old and you, and you go into your childhood in this book. And then you get that moment. And the moment that you thought was going to be in front of 80,000 fans, you're actually watching that moment at home sitting next to your wife, uh, you know, go through that moment when you're watching yourself on TV, holding up that championship at WrestleMania. Yeah, it's just surreal. I mean, the whole situation was surreal. By that point, I had accepted the situation, understood that we were the one company pushing ahead, the one entertainment company in the world, uh, bringing the world original content. I had the feel-good story at the time. It was the last match of the weekend. Could really put some, you know, as I like to say, smiles on faces, but it was so true at that point. And I sat down with her, was like, okay, it's not official till it's official, babe. I think I told you all that I put my title in the closet. We filmed it a week early, put the title in the closet. And I told her, and I wrote about it in the book. You know, I've seen a few things change in my career, especially in WWE when I was younger. There's always the chance that I'm going to be watching this match and it's going to be one, 
two and suddenly I'm on top and it switches to Brock on top of me with like a picture of Roman or Seth or someone that looks similar getting pinned three and Brock wins and we show a clip Brock holding the title like that's the kind of crazy things that go through your head as a wrestler and I was like it's not official till it's official but to sit there with her on the couch having an almost out of body experience watching Mania was surreal and my favourite part of all as I talk about in there, as when I've been presented the title, you know, on TV, that's pretty cool having that moment. The fans are watching across the world, but in real life, my wife was the one that took the title out and she presented it to me wow. in real life. And that was a special moment. She's such a big part of this journey. Um, I wouldn't be where I am right now without her to have her actually present me the title was pretty cool. And to be sitting there on our couch, her favorite spot with her two cats, you know, that was a really special moment for me and making the best of the situation. Drew, let's fast forward from that WrestleMania to the one that just happened about a month ago. Can you describe your emotions um, being the first one out in front of the live audience? Um, can you describe what it was like going into that match and how you felt right after that match? <laughs> Again, like nothing goes quite to plan when Drew McIntyre is fighting for the title. Um, we were getting rained out during the day. The fans were asked to leave the building and come back to the building, I believe, multiple times. Uh, I remember we were finally went out for the anthem. I, I was supposed to be at the front of the stage, and somebody had taken my spot, and I was happy. I kind of tried to hide in the background. I didn't want to look at the crowd. I didn't want to feel that moment because I knew I was going to be out first, and I wanted to experience it in real time during my entrance. So I kept as small as I could, kept my head down, wanted to be part of the moment but not fully experience it. The second we went to that cold open, I was the first one back, ready to go. Adrenaline's high as it can possibly be. Pre-workouts kicked in. I am ready to go. I get the word, Drew, we're going to be delayed. <laughs> and I turn around and what the F do you mean we're going to be delayed? So we've got our whole roster coming back. We're on the stage. I'm standing there in Gorilla. I'm the only one that's been informed um, that we're going to have a little delay here and we've got everyone fist bumps. Let's start them right. You know, you've earned this moment, um, you know, get him champ, get him big man. And in my head, I'm just the whole time like, you've got to be freaking kidding me. As I'm standing there with a half smile on my face, fist bumping everybody. And then all of a sudden I'm getting whisked away from Gorilla. We need to take you over here. I see MVP and Lashley doing an interview backstage. My emotions are at an all-time high. Theirs are at an all-time high. They just tell me, crash that interview. So I just storm in there. We just go with the flow. We say what feels right. We get out of that interview. I'm pacing about like a wild man. Someone sticks a microphone in my face when I'm peed off. And I said, what do you think, Drew? Like, Is it me? Like last year, I'm the one fighting for the title with a worldwide pandemic. <laughs> this year, they're trying to rain us out. And no matter what, this match is going ahead. And finally, when we got that entrance, like that was the coolest moment for me was walking out to the ring, finally experiencing the people there, seeing them live, seeing how no matter how much crap they went through, like till that moment in that terrible weather, they were fired up for WrestleMania. I got such an incredible response. You don't know how they're going to respond. Like I've been in their face for years, been a lot of Drew content for the past year and a half coming at them. And our fans, you know, sometimes if they're not feeling something, they'll let you know. And to hear such a positive response just blew me away. Get in there with Lashley, such a physical opponent, somebody that is just really cemented himself as a top level player in WWE and deserves to be there. And having that match, so much fun. The end probably caught a lot of people off guard uh, with myself going out to the hurt lock, but we just made another top level superstar right there. Allows Drew McIntyre to start fighting from underneath again. I think it's important for my character. I'm not Superman, I'm the Batman. I've got to always go overcoming, and I'm still chasing that WrestleMania moment. <laughs> 
uh, overcoming a moment is a big deal. It's great to hear you acknowledge that. I want to take you back, though, to the rain delay. Uh, I remember the last time you were on, we were talking about freedom of being able to say what you want in promos, and you said you had a lot of input. But in that moment in time, they tell you to crash the prom- the, the Lashley promo, and they stick a microphone in your face. What was it like for you and the other guys and gals in the locker room for that 45 minutes to have the freedom to say anything you wanted to say? Because I don't think that's ever going to happen again. I loved it. I mean, I love any situation where I can just go out and say exactly what's coming straight from the heart. You know, it's what I learned to do outside the company, especially in the independent level. There was just nobody was writing a script. I mean, here's a microphone, and I was very adamant about getting better at it and getting good at thinking on my feet and to get the opportunity not just to have, here's the basic guide of, we don't know, just go and say what feels right. That was awesome. The only thing I have to be conscious of is when I'm being the real Drew 100% as I swear a lot in real life. So I just had to be conscious of don't swear, but go out there and say exactly how you feel. And like even from the beginning, I was so in the moment when there's like nobody telling me what to do and you're feeling the moment, like simple things like Sarah's trying to ask me the question and I knew Lash was behind me. I'm like, no, he's right there. You stand here because he's going to jump you from behind. And just when you're in that moment, you're feeling the moment, you do what feels right from the heart and from the gut that it's going to feel right and feel real to the fans because it is real. Here with Drew McIntyre. Of course, the name of the book is A Chosen Destiny. Drew McIntyre, my story. Definitely pick it up for sure. And you talk a lot about your relationship with Sheamus, both inside and outside the ring. Bully and I, I mean, my goodness, the matches that you were able to have with him um, were tremendous. And I think Sheamus was, without a doubt, one of the MVPs uh, in 2020. Talk about your relationship with him, especially those matches and how physical those matches have been with Seamus. Yeah, I've known Seamus forever. Uh, he's my oldest friend in wrestling. And I met him when I was 19 years old and he was only about 42 at the time back in uh, <laughs> Europe. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was very clear from the, the beginning and uh, we had very similar goals. We weren't just content being like, eventually we're gonna be the top superstars in Europe. We were like, no, we're gonna be the guys who go to WWE. And we started trying to help each other any way we could. Like I was a lot smaller at the time. <clears throat> I needed to work on my physique. His dad was a bodybuilder. He was the biggest guy basically in Europe at the time. He helped me work out how to train right, how to diet right. I was a lot more experienced in wrestling. So I would start helping him with the in-ring game. We'd start working together across Europe. We'd be feeding on the one television show in Europe at the time. And then I'd bring him to the UK. We'd fight across Scotland, England, Ireland, whatever we could get our reps in. All-Star Wrestling, the only full-time company at the time outside of WWE, and eventually we got signed together, came to America together, ended up in Florida Championship Wrestling together, still chasing that dream. And it was wild the night that I won the Intercontinental title. He won the world title, the same pay-per-view. I remember us both sitting there going, what is going on with life right now? And he was there during all the, the good times and obviously all the bad times that I detail in the book. And I wouldn't get through a lot of them without him you know, being there for me. Literally lived in his house at one point. And, you know, that's where we're at, a point in my life. And when I was fired and I was still trying to find myself, I was living there. He was looking out for me. He's always been such a big brother for me. And to come back to the company and finally get that moment with the title um, and being with him afterwards and talking about the crazy journey was amazing. And then fast forward to recently, we finally, after 20 years, essentially, get the chance to put a bit of our story on television. You know, it was awesome. We wish we had more time, obviously, to tell the story. We'd like to tell it, but things move so fast and you get the opportunity to tell it in any way. We were just grateful for that. 
We knew through our work we'd catch people's attention as no one's going to be as physical as Drew McIntyre and Sheamus together because you'd be arrested for a crime. So we got to have that fun together in the ring, be highly physical. And the best part about it was before our pay-per-view match, <clears throat> right before WrestleMania, uh, they played that video that kind of detailed our history together. And both of us saw it right before the match. We should have probably watched it. It was pretty emotional right before you walked to the ring, just seeing everything just laid out in front of you and all we've been through together. And we said just right before, I was like, we'll say sorry afterwards, brother. And we beat that living hell out of each other. We said sorry afterwards. We laughed about it and we're excited to get a chance to do something together again. You know, sometimes that level of physicality, Drew, can either piss you off or it can fire you up. And I know how physical you are, but Sheamus almost seems like he takes it to that next level every once in a while. Has he ever gotten you so good in the ring where you've been pissed off at him and had to give it back? Yeah. <laughs> last, um, that, that last match um, you know I caught him with a few good punches <laughs> like there's one I posted a clip of where it's a close up and I didn't pull that it's a like, safe place it's not going to do any damage except a big knot in his face and I got him good he didn't forget that and the last match we had right at the beginning if you watch the start of our last pay-per-view match he punches me and he catches me in the side of the head and I almost lost my legs for a second. I saw the black spots. I caught my feet. I looked up and under my breath, I was like, you almost knocked me out, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> like I caught my feet. I was right at the start of the match. But that fired me up. We, like, I love it. He loves it. It's the way we wrestle. And if you watch a Sheamus match, that's what's so cool about it. You can tell at the beginning if the person he's in there with is kind of like playing the part for a second. You know as soon as I know, like watching, and you'll know as a performer watching, as soon as Seamus hits one of those stomach shots with a slap or hits one of those shots to the back, something goes off in the performer and they start bringing out a physicality they've never brought out before. And if they don't, they get eaten alive. And that's kind of when you find out what you're made of when Seamus lays in that first strike. And if you bring it, he's going to bring it. Afterwards, you're going to go, wow, that was a great match. And for us as fans watching like a Humberto in the past couple of weeks, that we need to see some aggression from this kid. Sheamus is the one to bring it out, and we're starting to see it now because he's willing to fight back. Drew, is there one thing in the book, uh, and, and it's a very personal book, and you bring up so much about your personal life. Was there one thing in the book that was very, very difficult for you to dive into? Yeah, I mean, my mother passing is the most difficult. Um, that's the part of my life where th no matter what stories are out there, what anybody thinks, that's when everything fell off. Uh, the tracks for me, the train came right off the tracks. You know, professionally, things were going fine. Personally, things were going fine. And uh, as soon as she got sick, like she was the most important person in my life. I'm a bit of a mummy's boy. It was hard being away from Scotland and never seeing my family, especially my mom in general. But then when she got sick with cancer and uh, told me, like, I don't want you to come home, just keep pushing ahead and having to see her go through chemotherapy and radiation through Skype, and see her like lose her hair and like she never sold anything she grew up with you know a very rare condition that affects basically no humans it affects small dogs where the balance portion of her brain died and she, she was told she'll never have kids she got pregnant with me said was told you may you may die we don't know you might have to abort and she said screw that i'm still gonna have uh, my kid here and if i die i die she had me she had my brother never complained once um, went through so much, like just saying somebody is always worse off than I am. And then to get cancer on top of that and to see her finally sell something like losing her hair just hurts so much. Like she's still a woman. Uh, to see that from, from across the world set me off the deep end. I started, you know, that's when I really started drinking and really started burning the candle at both ends during that period. 
like work never knew. I kept it, you know, to myself and between a couple of close friends. If they knew, they would have got me the help I needed right away. But I didn't say a word. I pushed ahead. And when she passed, that was the end of it. I just didn't care anymore. I was such a train wreck of a human being. Uh, when she eventually passed. And I talk about it in the book, a detail in the book, because I know people are going through the same thing. And it's hard to deal with those emotions. I didn't deal with those emotions for a few years. It was my wife that eventually got me to start opening up. And I'm still to this day not the best when it comes to emotions. I don't think a lot of wrestlers are opening up. But I tried to explain in there that it is very important, like not just for your own mental health, and it is, but for the people around you, because you're affecting those around you as well with that kind of self-destructive behavior. But yeah, it wasn't easy talking about, that's for sure. Drew, you you talked about when your mom had passed, you know, you kind of went off the rails. You had that self-destructive behavior. You said your wife was able to help you get back on track. Do you remember the moment in time where you said to yourself, enough is enough? Do you remember that first minute or that first hour or that first day where you knew you had to turn yourself around? Yeah, I broke my neck. Um, I talk about it again, in the book, uh, in detail. Um, and it was weird because I was very lucky with the opportunities I was given outside of WWE. A lot of platforms presented to me, and I was succeeding in such a high level as a wrestler. And if you looked at it just from my social media and what I was doing at the time, I was like, oh, wow, Drew's really killing it right now. And he's, the numbers are growing for all the companies he works for. His name's got such value right now. Like, there can't be anything going bad in his life. And I was out every single night. I was burning, not, like I say, the candle both ends. The whole candle was just a light at that time. And I broke my neck in a match in the UK. Came back to America. was very lucky when I got it checked out that it was non-displaced. I just had to wear a neck brace for eight weeks to heal it. But once I was at home, I basically had a very serious talk with my wife. And she, I say the fact she said, I'm going to leave your dumbass for you're such an idiot. And out all the time, you're never home. And I'm holding the fort here when you're gone, like months at a time. Um, you're going to crash and burn eventually. You can't keep this behavior up. It's bad for you. I spoke to my family about it. And the thing is, when people kind of point out to you the like negative aspects of your life that are holding you back, you can say, cool, I'm going to make a difference. But it's really on you. You have to want to. And luckily for me, it was never an addiction or anything like that. It was just a bad habit and how I was dealing with emotions. And I said, you know what? You're right. This isn't helping me. This is the first time I've been home in my life. I went straight from university to WWE. Um, I went straight from WWE to the independence. I never had any time where I was stationary in my entire life until those eight weeks. And I had got the chance to sit down, process everything, start dealing with some of these emotions, start understanding the opportunity that I had right now, how lucky I was to be so successful at the time. And I said, I'm going to cut out the negatives and see what happens as well as I'm doing. Imagine how well I'll actually do if I cut out the negatives. And sure enough, cut out all the drinking, partying, the negative aspects and people in my life. My head cleared. I thought I just had a permanent brain cloud because I was on the road all the time. It cleared up. Suddenly my body just improved dramatically. I looked the best I've ever looked in my entire life. And within two months, my impact contract lapsed. There was new management in. My wife and I elected. We weren't going to stay. We're trying to decide what the next move would be. I assumed New Japan. You know, we had a couple of conversations with a couple of people. And then William Regal told me, hey, like, take a call with Triple H. Hey, he wants to catch up. We spoke for 40 minutes. You can see what I was up to. I was not just proud of the performer had become but especially the man that I'd finally become and everything they saw in me when I was a young kid and basically said, it's time to come home. And I agreed. We both said, it's got to be NXT. And, and Drew, that I remember that day uh, before WrestleMania 33 when you appeared on NXT. You wrestled in a match, and then right from the match, still in your clothes, came and did our show, and then right from oh, yeah. our show to the arena and put on a suit like – 
the, the, the fact that you fulfilled all your commitments that day and what was going to be a rebirth of your career in the WWE, I think shows what kind of man you are. And you are an amazing man. And it's an amazing story. And I really do hope that each and every person that's listening to this show goes out and buys the book. It's called A Chosen Destiny, Drew McIntyre, My Story. And Drew, seriously, congratulations on everything. If anybody deserves these moments, it's you. And and the book is absolutely fantastic, and I hope it does well for you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you both as always, and hopefully I'll be back on here soon. And eventually, soon, soon in the future, we're going to do this in person. I, I, Keep up I the great work, Drew. <laughs> Thank you, Drew. Thank you, lads. Take care. All right. Thank you. Drew McIntyre and and Bully, it, I I read it uh, on my flight uh, to Texas, as I said, and it's a it's a great read, and his story is unbelievable. And then he and then he makes it back. Think about that. How many people have the opportunity to fulfill their dream, have it taken away, and then work their way to get back there again? And like he said, it's not been an easy ride. He wins the Royal Rumble. He has his main event WrestleMania match against Brock Lesnar in front of nobody. And he even talks about it in the book. It's not even the fact that there was no fan. There was nobody there in general. Like, with the exception of just a few people that were filming it, it was it was an empty venue. Um, and then gets the opportunity to finally wrestle in front of fans again for the title. And then, as he said, thunderstorms, rainstorms, every every everything comes to a halt. It's a pretty crazy story, and, and it, honestly, it's an amazing book. You have the book. You have Drew on the show with us this morning, and every other time he's been on, he, he talks about his story, the life events. You just laid out that timeline right there. I narrow it down to one specific night where I got to witness everything that we're talking about in person. I got to work with Drew one night in the UK. Um, I think it was uh, for a company called Rev Pro at Rev Royal. Pro. I, I think it was Royal Albert Hall. It's a great venue in the UK. Kind of reminds me of like the Elks Lodge in Queens, that, that, that feel with the two levels. And I remember working with Drew that night, and all he would talk about is, is Bubba, I just need to have a great match every single night because I want to get back to the WWE. He And this is his post-TNA career. He knew what he wanted to do. He he was very focused. He he was he was very driven. I remember having a uh, a very fun match with him that night. And when you hear one of the boys tell you, this is what my goal is, to get back to the WWE. I know as a veteran, it's pretty hard to do. Once you're there and they let you go and things don't necessarily work out, especially with what he was doing. He was in 3MB the last time we yep. had seen him in the WWE. He was on the lowest rung you could possibly be. No disrespect to those guys, but they weren't exactly pushing that act to the moon. So why would they bring back a guy who they weren't really doing anything with? It's difficult, but they did. And look at what he did. He set his own future he set his own destiny he knew what the goal was and he knew that he was the answer to everything so when yet we have him on when we talk to him 
I, I, it's great to see how it has worked out for him. And he's such a good dude that you, you wish him absolutely nothing, you know, but the best in, in the future. And uh, I, I think they're going to really take care of him because he's performed at a top level for them at, at, during the most difficult times. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour, and they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com, to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited-time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for $15 a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash busted open. That's mintmobile.com slash busted open. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash busted open. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com Busted50 and use code Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Busted50 at Factormeals.com Busted50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. I want to get into something that definitely exploded all over social media. And not in a good way. And that is the A&E bio on Randy Savage from this past Sunday. Now, this series that started with Stone Cold Steve Austin, which I thought was very good. Then they followed it up with Rowdy Roddy Piper last week. And Bully, I thought that Roddy Piper bio may have been one of the best documentaries on a wrestler that I have seen in a very long time. And I was extremely excited about the episode that premiered this past Sunday, and that was of Randy Macho Man Savage. Uh, coming off the heels of my trip to Buda, Texas, I got to be honest, I only watched the first hour, and it was a bit ho-hum for me, the first hour. Then I read social media, and what I read on social media 
kind of was a disconnect for me after watching only the first, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Then I watched the second hour of that bio. And you mentioned it on the show yesterday. Conrad Thompson actually tweeted out Sunday night. And he said this. They should have named this the burial of Randy Savage. What a hit job. The last two weeks were puff pieces. Now this kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? And... I really did. This is my opinion, and Bully, you might have a different one, and the nation might too, and that's fine. I really thought they went places with that Randy Savage bio that they should not have done. I I don't know how true some of the things and some of the accusations that were made in that bio were. I thought they went places that they certainly did not do with their first two episodes with Roddy Piper and Stone Cold Steve Austin. It felt personal it felt like they were trying to soil the name of a legend in randy savage that's how i felt watching that episode from this past sunday would you would you say it's fair or would it be fair to say that last night's or sunday night's doc on savage is something you would have expected to see on dark side of the ring and not necessarily an a an a and e slash WWE co-produced documentary. Yes, and I'll take it to I'll take it even further. In the first se- uh, season of Dark Side of the Ring, they had an episode on Randy Savage and Elizabeth. I thought that the the episode on Sunday even went even more national uh inquiresque, if so to speak. Even more so than the Dark Side of the Ring episode. What aspects of the A&E doc did you not like or did you think went too far? The stuff with his WCW run, uh, the accusation of steroids and ecstasy, um, spending what was I, I, I 20 minutes of that two-hour documentary with with Gorgeous George and some of her accusations. Um, did you Did you – hold on. Did you not think Randy Savage was on steroids? No, I prob I probably thought that he was, but let me I, I have to I have to compare apples and oranges, right? Okay. Episode one, Stone Cold Steve Austin, which I I think we both agree was was very, very good. It completely focused on his pro wrestling career. It, 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 when it came when it came to the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs of Stone Cold Steve Austin, those ups and downs were with his career, not him, uh, his per, like his personal life outside the ring. Listen, they dived into his childhood, how he became a fan, you know, how he tried you know football and became a pro wrestler, and and that hard road of getting you know of of learning the rope, so to speak, on the indie scene, humping the road, as you would say. Like, it it dived just into his pro wrestling career. It didn't dive in at all on some of the issues and problems that he had with his personal life. Not at all. And honestly, I didn't care. All I cared about was, you know, how he got started and his career and looking back at what is one of the greatest careers in the history of pro wrestling. Am, am, am I right so far? Yes. Okay, then they had Rowdy Roddy Piper. And I thought it was almost identical to Stone Cold Steve Austin. 
Now, now, Rowdy Roddy Piper's not with us, but they had archived interviews and footage. And it got into some of the struggles that he had with Vince McMahon and him going on the HBO Sports and having that revealing interview. And when it came to personal issues that he might have had with alcohol or drugs, they kind of said that party lifestyle, quote unquote, they didn't dive in too deep. They kind of just scratched the surface a little bit. 90% of that was kind of focused on his career and his family life that from all accounts of what I've seen was an amazing one, amazing family, amazing children, amazing wife. Am I right so far? Yes. The second hour of that Randy Savage bio, I thought they their target was to make him look like a human piece of garbage. They made him look like he was a drug addict, addicted to ecstasy, addicted to steroids, a horrible human being. That's what I thought that second hour of that bio was trying to do to the to the to the legacy of Randy Macho Man Savage. I never got the horrible human being part. I, I did not feel like they made him out to be a horrible human being. Um, I think that they probably focused on his. Listen, the steroids thing, I don't even give a shit about. I don't care about steroid abuse. Listen, if it's okay to smoke cigarettes and poison your lungs and it's okay to drink alcohol and destroy your liver, you should be able to take steroids whenever the hell you want. I'm not on board with this whole steroid thing. So Randy Savage took steroids. So what? So did everybody else in the industry at that time. And that whole locker room was pilled up at the time. The whole fucking place was pilled up at the time. Get anybody who worked in WCW during that time on this show to say, oh, no, we weren't doing that. You assist his ass. I'm wondering if maybe because the the steroids or maybe the drug abuse was so much of a part of his career that they decided to include it. And with Austin, the the personal problems that he had were maybe not as much of his career. I don't know. When you don't have somebody around to dispute any of the stuff that is said, it's kind of hard. I don't know why we needed so much of gorgeous George on the Randy Savage documentary. I didn't really need to know that much about the personal issues or the problems. I don't really think I need to see Gorgeous George's son or the sister who's afraid to show her face. Why yeah. was the sister afraid to show her face? Was this a mafia hit piece? I mean, and that's what I think added to the aura of the whole thing. Like she didn't want to show, she didn't want to expose her face because of the because of the nature of the conversation. What nature of the conversation? Randy Savage passed away in, in 2011. Is she uh, fearful of her life because of saying something that her that that gorgeous shirts has no problems talking about? Maybe Lanny is going to show up at her house and read her a poem. Um, I don't think I had a, as big of a problem. Now, maybe I just don't know as many details. Like Conrad said it was a hit piece. Dustin Rhodes went on, on record to said he doesn't like all this dirty stuff coming out about people, especially after they're dead. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Um, 
it definitely was not as friendly to Randy as it was to Roddy or Steve. Fair assessment? Uh, 100%. You know what really resonated with me, Dave? And I'm going to... All this other personal shit, like... When I hear about all these personal problems with wrestlers in the wrestling business, I'm so desensitized to it because it so comes with the territory. And you either avoid the pitfalls or you fall into the pitfalls. Listen, me and Dreamer have been doing this for a long time, Dave. We have never fallen into one of those pitfalls. Why? So you're grounded. I would because think. we have a fucking brain. Yeah. You got guys addicted to pain pills. I don't know. Who's been in more pain than Tommy or me? Or di- who's been wrapped around the head with more of chairs than me, Devon, or Tommy other than Mick Foley? We never resorted to pain pills. So when I hear this pain pill shit, this drug addiction shit, that's on you, buddy, for whoever that is. And I don't think I'm being insensitive. That's, hey, it's the nature of the business. You either, you either be careful, you either listen to the veterans who came before you and, and tell you, hey, be careful of these pitfalls, or you're going to fall into the pitfalls yourself. The thing that really resonated with me from last night was Savage Steamboat from WrestleMania 3. And I've told you that I obviously, as a kid, thought it was incredible. The, the the match was perfection, but as the years went on and I as I became a part of this industry and learned more about how that match went down, it kind of lost its luster to me a bit. And then hearing Steamboat talk about it last night and the listing of the 160 moves on a yellow pad and the talking about it and the quizzing each other about it and the constantly going over it over and over again. Who wouldn't be able to put on that kind of match? You don't think if Kenny Omega and I don't know, pick a name, Dave. Hey, let's say, let's just say even Kenny Omega and Rich Swan from that match we saw, that title versus title match at Impact. If you told me that every single thing that happened on that match, step by step, they went over to the point where they're quizzing each other. Okay, what step? Give me step step seventeen to forty two. Go. I, I to me that would lose a little bit of the luster. I'm not taking anything away. It's a great match. If no. people love it, that's 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 completely fine. But I'm with you, bully. Knowing that there was much time and it was written out and it was that thorough, I, it, it takes a little bit of the luster away from me. Just a little bit. Now I could I could just hear people right now going, I can't believe bully is saying this. How dare you say this? How dare you say this? Well, WrestleMania 2000. The first triangle ladder match. Did you like it, Dave? Loved it. TLC 1, SummerSlam 2000. Did you like it? Loved it. TLC 2, WrestleMania eight, uh, 17, Astrodome. Did you like it? Loved it. You know, Out of those three matches, do you know how many times the six of us wrote anything down? How many? Never. We talked. We hashed out. We memorized, never wrote anything down. To me, it takes away from the, 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 the live without a net feel. Like, 
We are committed to this. We're going to memorize it. And doing it with six guys as opposed to doing it two guys with tables on as a chest, man, it's a completely different animal. I'm only using my experiences at WrestleMania because to their experiences at WrestleMania because I can't see writing a match down on paper. Now, maybe Ricky Steamboat was of the opinion, and, and it would be interesting to ask him this question if we ever got the chance, that he knew in working with Randy, he would have to memorize this match with him because it was probably easier to memorize the match with him on paper than to fight him on it. And if that was Steamboat's uh, answer, I'd be like, okay, I totally get it because Randy's personality was so aggressive, so high strung that Ricky probably just said, all right, I'll do it this way. It's not the way I'm really used to. Me and Nate didn't do it. How many times do you think Ricky Steamboat and Rick Rick Flair wrote down their one hour long matches? Zero, I'm sure. You get my point here, right? I do. I do. But it kind of goes back to and listen. It's still one of the greatest matches of all time. My problem with it was always the interference by George the Animal Steel, but that's a, that's a, that's a conversation for another day. But even in that, Bully, it was like they were, it just felt like that all they wanted to do was knock him down. I mean, think about it. Like uh, on, the, on the Piper bio, it got into the whole thing with WrestleMania and the feud with Mr. T and Hogan. It kind of added to the story where it's like, I want to go back and watch that again. When it came to Savage, it kind of I felt like they were discrediting Savage. Like when it came to when it came to uh Stone Cold's documentary, Bully, they they went into the stories, the matches with Brett, the match with Bret Hart, like all those matches that took him to another level. The promo with with uh, on Bischoff with ECW and the relationship with Paul Heyman, like Man, just here, here's the stories that happened throughout Stone Cold's career. All the building blocks that then made him a legend. It's almost like with Savages, it's like, all right, we, are, you, we already know you think he's a legend, but now we're going to tear him down to the point where when this is over, you're not going to think of him and look at him the same way. The Piper and the Stone Cold documentaries, I have more respect for those guys after watching their bios. I completely feel differently about Randy Savage after watching his bio. It's like they purposely tried to tear that man apart. But and the man's no li- longer with us. You shouldn't do that because now you're listening to other people's opinions on Randy Savage. No, but I'm going by by what I feel was their op- opus, op- whatever, their, their goal for what they were trying to do. Is that was their goal? Hey, we're going to tell you why. Behind. Why would that be their goal? I, I don't why? know. Why, then why did they do what they did? Why did they? Why did they do it a certain way with Piper and Stone Cold and completely go in a different direction with Randy Macho Man Savage? Maybe, maybe Savage's regular story to them wasn't as intriguing as the darker parts of his story. It didn't do a good rating. Austin did one million plus. Uh, Piper did uh, eight eighty. Savage did about seven ninety. The ratings are going down on the show. I'm sure they're so still I, good rating. I'm st- I'm sure they're yeah. still good ratings for A and E for what they're looking for. I I don't know, Dave. I know enough people were unhappy with this. I can understand that, and I completely, I'm not arguing, disputing, telling you you're, you're wrong, 
um, uh, Conrad, Dustin Rhodes, all good. I get it because I'll, I'll just I just look at it from the gorgeous George point of view. Like to me. I don't need to know about you and your run and you telling me that he was banged out on pills or this or that. It might be accurate, but I'm sure there was enough positive in Randy's career that you could have filled that 10 to 12 minutes with some other positive stuff about him. It felt like, and I could be wrong at the time, I'm sure somebody will correct. It felt like they spent 20 minutes with gorgeous George and going over that time of Randy Savage's career. In essence, that was one year, one year of his career at the end of his career. Why are they spending so much time on that? And I got to tell you, as much as gorgeous George bothered me, it really pissed me off seeing Bubba the Love Sponge. Oh, my God. Of all the fucking people that you put on there, Bubba the Love Sponge, which, I, I mean... I, I think everybody would agree, like, I, and I don't know the man. I never met the man. I never spoke to the man. Trash. And, I mean, isn't that the perception that everybody has of Bubba the Love Sponge? And that's the, and that guy was talking more than anybody else on that. Other than Lanny Poffo, that man was on, any, was on more than anybody else during that documentary. I cannot believe Hulk Hogan agreed to be on a documentary that Bubba the Love Sponge was on. After all the shit that's been going on over the last five years. Floored. Floored. I wonder if Hulk even knew. Floored. That guy showed up to a Raw, Monday Night Raw in Tampa in 2000. And I see him walking into, it was called the Ice Palace at the time. He's walking in with a gear bag, a Louis Vuitton gear bag. This is Bubba the Love Sponge. And he goes into the boys' locker room. When I say the boys, I mean the wrestlers, for those of you who don't understand what I mean, say what I mean, the boys. He goes into our locker room, and I see him walking into the locker room. I go, what are you doing? He goes, oh, I have a dark match tonight. I said, what? He goes, yeah, I have a dark match. I go, why would you have a fucking dark match? Oh, you know, I set it up or I arranged it. However it came to pass. And I said, what's with the Louis Vuitton gear bag? He's like, oh, this I have my gear. I said, in a Louis Vuitton bag? I go, you got guys in this locker room who can't afford a Louis Vuitton bag, but you got a Louis Vuitton bag? Get the fuck out of the locker room. I made a change in the hallway. So when I get my reputation, where my reputation comes from at times is incidents like that when I was doing the right thing. Not a fan of that, of that human being at all. And didn't Awesome Kong want to, like, take his head off when uh, the time he was working with Impact Wrestling? Kill him. Kill him. Dead. Now, unfortunately, this was one of Hulk's bad decisions in friendship because it was Hulk that got him all of these little opportunities. And you saw what he did, you know, went and did to, you know, Hulk. Uh, I, I I thoroughly under I I don't tabloid it was, it was tabloid for, with the people yeah, that they had involved yeah, it was tabloid esque and yeah. you know A and E classy um, amazing documentary with Stone Cold amazing documentary with Rowdy Roddy Piper it felt like there was ill intent now I'm not saying that there was ill intent I'm not saying that there was ill intent but knowing that the WWE was involved in this they let this happen 
Or is there ill intent with the WWE and Randy Macho Man Savage? A lot of baggage there with the WWE and Savage. You know how we're going to really be able to figure this out? Ultimate Warrior. Ding, ding, ding. Circle gets the square. When they do the Ultimate Warrior piece, we'll have something to compare it to. Because we could say Savage, as compared to Piper and Stone Cold... It seemed more tabloid-esque, National Enquirer-esque. Yes. Let's see what they do with the Ultimate Warrior. But the way everything ended with Warrior, I can't see them wanting to do something negative. I think there'd be too much backlash. After what I saw Sunday? There's an award called the Warrior Award. You think they're going to bury him? Bully? Was there any wrestler that was hated more by the WWE than the Ultimate Warrior before he came back at WrestleMania 30? To my knowledge, no. No more of a strained relationship. And didn't didn't they do a piece on him on the WWE Network that was yeah, not they, very complimentary at all? No, they. I mean, Triple H compl- verbally massacred the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, from not only his in-ring work, how the WWE built him, how he had no work ethic, and that he was a horrible human being. And then they made peace, and then they built him up, and have his wife now working with the company. They have the the Warrior Award, and he passed away like just hours after delivering that speech on Monday Night Raw. They never came really came to peace with Randy Savage. They, they inducted him to the Hall of Fame years later after he had passed, and that's because of the fans giving the WWE so much heat not inducting Randy Savage. The entire Liz story is extremely sad, too, to see what happened to her. Agreed. But can I say this too, Bully? And it is heartbreaking what happened to Elizabeth. This wasn't the Elizabeth story. This was the Randy Savage story. They spent a lot of time on what with Lex Luger and, and Elizabeth. Why? This wasn't a documentary about Elizabeth. This was a documentary about Randy Macho Man Savage. Why did they go to the death of Elizabeth with everything that happened with her and Lex Luger? And it is true that Liz's demise has zero to do with Randy. But connecting it into that bio made it seem like Randy Savage was the guilty party. Good point. Should have never been connected. He had moved on with his life. He moved on. He moved He moved forward. He found somebody else. He got remarried, and he was a happy man. And spoke Why nothing, did they have but to dig nice. that up? Yep. I agree with Conrad. It was a hit job, man. It was a hit job. There were, I, I, I don't know. I, 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 I got to be quite honest. I don't know if I'm going to watch the rest of the series after watching that episode on Sunday. No, you'll watch. You're a slave to Monday night for three hours. You're going to watch this shit. Bad job. Because You know why? Because you just want to hear what they're going to say. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. Busted Open is part of the Sirius XM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Ed Robinson. The associate producer is Gabby Laspisa. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, 
the legendary Steve Cohen and SiriusXM Fight Nation program director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.